0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Bluewire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Welcome to the Roadwire Prospect Podcast. I'm your host, James Anderson. And after weeks, of work. Uh, the midseason top 400 prospect rankings is in the books. That's up on rotowire.com right now. Uh, there were over 100 editions, uh, almost 60 editions from the draft pool, but another 70, 80 editions uh, that were just guys who warranted um, being on the top 400. A lot of guys came off, a lot of guys graduated. I uh, love this update because there is so much movement among guys that have already signed. I mean, there's a lot of pop-up guys uh, at high A, double A, uh, We've got a lot of uh, data on the guys that are playing in complex ball, some big time breakouts uh, uh, in that level uh, of their respective organizations. So a really fun update. <clears throat> and, uh, I'll be spending this episode mostly answering uh, listener questions about the update. Uh, next week, I hope to have the Dynasty rankings fully updated, probably towards the end of the week. And the team top 20 rankings uh, will be thoroughly updated uh, by the end of the day, Friday of this week. And then, you know, that'll be really fun because I think we're going to see. Uh, a lot of prospects on the move at the the deadline this year. And so just quickly replenishing uh, those orgs and and taking guys away, adding guys in, uh, that'll be fun to do uh, on the day of the trade deadline. Um, But uh, yeah, let's, let's get into the uh, questions. Actually, I do want to kind of apologize that uh, when I was working on this update and working on the draft and everything over the past few weeks, uh, I've probably been a little less uh, responsive on Twitter than I, than I usually am. Uh, just really didn't want uh, too many distractions. I wanted to get this done uh, on time and everything like that. So I uh, apologize if I, if I didn't respond to a question you had over the past couple of weeks, but um, you know, feel free to duplicate a question or, or whatever. Just uh, if I saw it, I just didn't have time to, to mess with it. And I don't like giving out bad advice or, um, advice on stuff that I just don't have time to really consider. Uh, someone asked me like a really in-depth question about Trevor Rogers uh, today or yesterday. And I was just like, I really don't have time. I mean, that, that might take me a half hour to figure out uh, what I think <laughs> is wrong with Trevor Rogers. So I um, apologize for that, but uh, let's get into the questions related to the top 400 prospect rankings uh, that are live as of today. Uh First one from Mike Sheets, uh, inaugural winner of the Top Wars Draft and Hold League. Uh, Mike wanted to know that even with the gaudy counting numbers, what's the level of concern that Elliot De La Cruz is still striking out more than 30 percent of the time between high A and double A? Uh, you know, I sometimes get, uh, I've gotten the question in the past of you know who's the toughest guy to rank. Elliot uh, De La Cruz, I think, is probably my answer to that. I think he's just such an enigma because you typically would be pretty scared of a guy with his plate skills. Um, But at the same time, he's got such a hard to find combination of power and speed, uh, such a hard to find uh, athleticism in a, in a massive frame. You just don't see players like Elliot de la Cruz come along maybe, maybe they come around like once in a decade where you've got a guy with this type of athleticism who's getting to this much power and this much speed in games. And, uh, the fact that he strikes out a ton really complicates matters because if he was just, you know, if he was walking 10% of the time and striking out 20% of the time, it'd be easy. He'd be, you know, maybe the number one prospect in baseball. Uh, but he's not obviously, as as Michael alluded to, and and some others alluded to as well. <clears throat> um, I think there's there's a case for uh, selling on Elliot Elliot De La Cruz right now, if especially if you're risk averse and you just want to say like, hey, I I picked this guy up, and now I'm going to cash him out for someone I feel much more confident in who's really going to help me. Uh, I think that that's that's the safe move. Um, but I don't. I also don't think that the fact that he's striking out this much uh, precludes him from from hitting his ceiling as a as a perennial first round pick in, in fantasy. Uh, so I just think so much of the story with Elliot de la Cruz has not been written yet that it just it makes it really tough to to evaluate him. And um I think, you know, it's a it's a decision each person needs to make themselves when you're rostering Elliot de la Cruz. And it depends, you know, what you're being offered. Uh, But he was incredibly tough to rank. Uh, Ended up slotting him in at eighth overall. Uh, I think he'd been around uh, 20th overall uh, prior to this update. And, you know, I'll be doing another update at uh, the end of August. And if he's striking out 36% of the time and walking 5% of the time at double A, he won't be in the top 10 anymore. Um, So there's some volatility with Elliot Cruz moving forward. Uh, Joe McHugh, a buddy on Twitter, wanted to know <clears throat> um, or he, he made the observation that more younger, further away players are high up on this set of rankings than in the off season and the early season. And he wanted to know if this is more a result of. Uh, More evaluation time for these players, the draft, the graduations, a a conscious shift by me uh, looking at upside versus proximity. Uh, It's definitely not a conscious shift. Uh, I would much rather have the top 10 and the top 15 be loaded with guys that are close to the majors, but it's kind of a a cyclical nature of these things, right? Like Um, Before the season, I think I commented on this uh, as well, but before the season, um, we had more high-end prospects that were expected to debut that season than I can really ever recall. I I think uh, maybe 10 or 12 of my top uh, 13, 14 prospects or so were all guys that we expected to graduate um, around this time. And that has in fact happened. Uh, we're still, we're almost there on graduations to guys like uh, Vinny Pascantino and O'Neill Cruz. But um, once those two guys graduate, it's just going to be a ton of guys that you're not going to see till next year. And that kind of makes sense, right? Cause a lot, most teams aren't going to bring up a highly touted prospect in August or September. Right. So the guys that were going to come up have already come up and we're going to have this next wave and, it's it's such an exciting group of guys at the top but uh as joe mentions um like i I recommend checking out the the etas those are all updated uh got a 2022 eta on miguel vargas with the dodgers i don't feel extremely confident about that um maybe a 60 percent chance he he comes up this year uh but then after vargas yeah you got pascantino you got o'neill cruz uh, Curtis Mead, I think there's like a 50-50 shot that he's up this year, and that would probably be some sort of uh, ramifications of a trade, like if if the Rays traded him or if they traded guys in front of him, maybe he comes up. But I mean that he could very easily not come up at all this year, so it's really a ton of guys with twenty twenty three ETAs, some twenty twenty four ETAs, some twenty twenty five ETAs up there. Um, so it's just it's just a, a whole new crop, and uh, I think it's more of a You know, kind of usually it's somewhere in between where we're at right now, where there's very few guys that we expect to debut this this current season versus and and then compared to like before the season where it was like everyone's going to debut. Usually we're somewhere in the middle where it's like half of the top 10 are guys who are up or guys who are going to be up this year and then half the top 10 are guys further down the road. So it's just uh, it's just a wave. These things kind of go in waves. And I think that's that's where we're at right now. Uh. Dan wanted to know, this is, this is kind of a, a common question, um, especially with guys like uh, Jackson Churio and Elliot De La Cruz. But Dan asked if there are specific historic examples of guys who struck out at a 30% clip in the lower levels who improved their K rate as they aged. He's wondering what a 28% K rate for Jackson Churio and a 31% K rate for Elliot De La Cruz means for their long-term ceilings. Um, I think it's just it, this is such a uh, like kind of a black magic like there, there's just there's so we're talking about extremes with Churio and the Cruz on both sides of the coin, um, you know, for a guy that struck out this much at single A, uh, as he's referring to with uh, Churio, uh, John Carlos Stanton is kind of the One that came to mind for me, Um, he had the same K rate at the same age as Churio uh, at single A. Um, But I think the the big thing to, to talk about with Churio is that this is an unprecedented player in terms of going from the Dominican Summer League to low A and skipping whatever levels existed in between. Part of the reason it's unprecedented is because some of the levels that used to exist in between the Dominican Summer League and low A don't exist anymore. There's no Pioneer League. There's no uh, Appalachian League or New York Penn League. So uh, I think as we get kind of further on into this this new uh, landscape of the minor leagues you are going to start seeing um, some similar uh, things to what we're seeing with Churio right now um, with the strikeout rate being as high as it is and the production being as uh, intense as it is, because there's not the stepping stones for a guy like that to just go to the pioneer league and put up crazy numbers with a, with a good strikeout rate and then head to low A. You know, he went from the DSL, and he was so good that they didn't want to wait for a complex ball to open up. So he started playing in low A, and he struck out as much. Um, I mean, I, it would have been su- surprising if he'd just gone to low A and didn't strike out that much, honestly. Um, like Ronald Acuna, Juan Soto, Wander Franco, Vlad Guerrero, none of those guys, and he's a different player from some of those guys, but none of them went from the DSL to low A. They all got plenty of time. Some of them didn't go to the DSL, but – uh, they all had time before low A, um, and Churio didn't. Uh, so I think it's, it's such a, yeah, it, it's tough to find a guy with a 28% strikeout rate as an 18 year old at low A who went on to be great, but you also can't find a guy who is an 18 year old at low A who skipped over all the stateside rookie leagues and was this productive. So Churio is is very unique um, in both respects, although I did mention John Carl Stanton. That's an example of a guy that struck out that much uh, at low A. Uh, the Ellie one is more straightforward. Like he's he's been age appropriate for his levels, right? But, um, you know, I, Ellie, part, part of what makes him so tough is one of my biggest misses was I was too low on Fernando Tatis Jr. when he was at double A. I think I had him ranked as like the seventh best prospect in baseball because I was worried about all the strikeouts he had at double A. Like that's kind of a danger zone, right? Like the the high twenties um, that scared me and that I ended up being too low on, on Tatis. And so maybe there's a kind of a, a conscious effort to not make that mistake again with someone like Ellie uh, because there's no denying the, incredible upside the the 40 40 upside that he has like that's uh just something you just don't see very often um but i am it's not like i'm saying ellie's can't miss like if ellie was can't miss with his tools he'd be the number one prospect um so it's just how do you and I, i said i think before the season even um i think when i was on chris welsh's pod and i ellie was like my breakout pick but I think even on that pot, I said, like, the, the floor for his career is that he kind of goes on a Esteban Floreal type of career trajectory where we're just so excited about the tools and the lower levels. And then he just kind of gets to double A AA or triple A or whatever and um, kind of hits a wall from a ability to put those tools to use in games standpoint. So, like, we're not out of the woods with Ellie on the hit tool at all. Um, we're a long ways from that, and again, we still have to kind of grapple with just these this extreme power speed blend that he has. Uh, so I'm just I'm not sure exactly where to rank Ali. Uh, again, like I said, you know, 15 minutes ago, he's the toughest guy to rank. Um, so you know, I I understand why people have so many questions about him. Uh, Gwen Chameleon asked for a comp on Jackson Churio and what exactly it is that has me so odd about him to have him jump into the top 10. Uh, Yeah. I think that I don't, I don't have a great comp for, for Churio. Uh, I think it's, it's too early in the game for that. Um, And I mean, he's still, I I just don't, I don't like throwing, I don't know. I I might have an outrageous comp later in the show, but I, I don't really have one for Churio. It's just a very kind of obvious guys that guys don't produce like that as 18 year olds at low A unless they're going to be stars. And, um, that doesn't mean true. He'll be a star, but I think the production that he's shown warrants an aggressive ranking. Um, and it's, it's, the tools are pretty obvious, like the power at his age, really insane. Um, the, the speed is obvious. Like he's, uh, he's got all the tools really. Um, and part of why it was such a big jump for him versus Ellie, Ellie jumped, you know, twelve spots. Uh, Churio jumped probably like sixty-five spots. Uh, my last update was about six weeks ago, and that was when Churio was first breaking out at uh, at low A. And so at that point, it was just kind of like, well, this is this has a chance to be really special, but I'd only seen like. 10 games or so, I think at that point. And so that wasn't enough for me to put him in the top 50. Um, and I think it's also worth pointing out that basically those six weeks, these, these last six weeks of what Trurio's done, that's by far the biggest data point we have on him as a pro. Uh, because, you know, prior to those six weeks, he had about a week and a half at low A, and then it was all DSL and um, you know, rumors about how good he looked at extended spring training and stuff like that. So um, the, the, uh, what we've seen from Churio since my last update is basically all that matters when and analyzing Churio. Um, so that that's why the jump was so big. Uh, all right, let's uh, head to a quick uh, message from our sponsors.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: All right. From John Vahi, uh, why no big bump for Adele Amador, uh, Rocky's middle infielder. Uh, I knew that there'd be people who were disappointed by Amador's ranking. Um, I think I had him, let's see, I had him at one twenty-two. Uh, it's, it's tough cause he has a lot of the stuff we look for, right? Like he's controlling the strike zone very well. Um, more more walks and strikeouts it's always great he's uh hit for a little bit of power he's shown uh, some plus speed uh i just i don't get the you look at those stats and then you watch him and i just i don't think we're talking about that type of upside or that type of impact uh potential especially from the power standpoint uh he is a plus runner but you're, you sometimes see with these, like, these middle infielders who have a really good control of the zone, uh, they can put up pretty impressive strikeout rates and walk rates in the lower levels, low A specifically. Uh, and then by the time they get to double A or triple A, everything kind of normalizes. And we're talking about a guy who's going to hit kind of like an empty high batting average, that type of thing. Um, so that's that's my read on Amador right now. I don't think that he's a guy that's going to be you know 25 homers, 25 steals, and course field. Like I just don't see that type of upside with him, despite what looks like a promising blend of power and, and patience at at low A. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but um, you also throw in the fact that he's I think two plus years away. Um, maybe three years away, given how slowly the Rockies sometimes move guys. Um, just, I, I don't know. I, I think that he's a little overrated right now. Uh, Ulysses asks, uh, who makes it to the show first in 2023, Jordan Walker or Ellie De La Cruz? Um, that's 100% Walker. I don't even have a 2023 ETA on Eli, so not even – close. Uh, Walker probably beats LA to the majors by like a calendar year. Uh, And then Ulysses wanted to know, and you can look at those ETAs. Those are all fully updated uh, right next, you know, right on that top 400. Um, And then Ulysses also wanted to know um, if I have an assessment or a comp on Jordan Walker. Uh, I don't really have a great comp on Walker. I mean, it's, it's kind of, um, he's not going to be this type of player, but he reminds me a little bit of a prospect version of Freddie Freeman, where a lot of people just kind of thought he was sort of this hit over power guy based on what he did in the minors. And maybe, I mean, Freeman probably has just always been a hit over power guy, but uh, I think one of the bigger misconceptions out there is people look at Jordan Walker's home runs right now at double a, what is it? Eight, he's got eight homers in uh, 296 at-bats at double A. Like, that is not the type of game power we're talking about here. He also has 15 steals. Um, we're not talking about that either. Like, uh, like I envision Jordan Walker being a guy that hits for a very high average, gets on base a ton, Uh, and hits a ton of home runs in his peak years and maybe steals eight bases. Um, So, like, you know, maybe his ceiling is, like, 35 homers, 10 steals, and a 300 average, something like that. Um, But that's – you wouldn't get that from just looking at his double-A line right now, but he has monster raw power. Um, So he's a guy that's still very much uh, developing. I mean, we're – We're not uh, very close to sort of seeing a finished product here with Jordan Walker. Uh, Mags, I had a few questions on this one. Uh, So I've ranked Drew Jones uh, 10th. All right. He slotted in at 10th. And obviously the awful news about uh, him, he's going to miss this, you know, what would have been his debut season in pro ball uh, due to a shoulder injury, which, he suffered like right away, which really really sucks. Um, I mean, I, <laughs> I know how bad Welsh wanted to see him in person in Arizona and just uh, really a really tough break, but um, a lot of people were wondering, like, are you did you know that he's injured? Like, are you ranking there knowing that he's injured? Like, yes, he was actually going to slide in eighth. Um, so it goes Churio seventh, Elliot de the Cruz eighth, Anthony Volpe ninth it was going to be Churio, then Jones, then De La Cruz, then Volpe. Uh, so I bumped Jones down two spots basically because of the shoulder injury. Uh, to me, he was in a tier of his own, um, in this class. I don't think you can just go from being in a tier of your own to, um, below anyone in the class because you are going to miss the first, you know, six weeks of your career essentially. Um, I had someone ask if, uh, you know, if I did the same with Jordan Lawler, basically the same thing happened with Jordan Lawler and Jordan Lawler should be a good kind of example here. Right. Um, Now the big difference is I didn't have Lawler as let alone the top guy, but not, not certainly not the clear top guy. I think I had Marcelo Mayer as the top guy. Um, And so Lawler being injured, um, like he would have been, like third for me, maybe um, without the injury in that class. And so him being injured, you know, he, he slipped a little bit. Uh, but Jones was just, I'm, I'm so much higher on Jones right now than I was on Lawler a year ago. I should have been higher on Lawler, obviously, but um, yeah, I just, I, I can't say enough about Jones's long-term upside And you don't have to look further than his own org to find guys, Corbin Carroll and Jordan Lawler, who recently missed a ton of time with injuries. And now they're the top two prospects for dynasty, in my opinion. Um, Let's see. Uh, Steve G asks, is it time to drop Tyler Freeman in a 14 team dynasty? And he also asks if Bo Naylor could be better than MJ Melendez Uh, with whether or not to drop Freeman uh, you guys really, really should be using the My leagues tools. Um, those are like half of the value of the prospect rankings is syncing your dynasty leagues up and seeing who the f- top free agents are in your league. Um, so Steve, I you might even already use these, but I don't know if you should drop Tyler Freeman yet, but if you sync up your My leagues thing and you see like, 20 free agents that I have ranked higher than Tyler Freeman, then yeah, you should should drop him. Um, as for can Bo Naylor be better than MJ Melendez? Uh, sure, he could be better. I, I do think from what I just gather, like hearing people talk about like catcher values and stuff like that, uh, I think MJ Melendez's season is really being kind of slept on for how impressive it is. Uh, just think about think about all the rookie catcher seasons of the past decade and pretty much everyone just kind of sucks as a rookie and MJ Melendez has been better in league average as a hitter. He's getting to his power. Uh, the strikeout rate is not in the danger zone. Um, like I think I, from what I gather, I'm going to have a lot of MJ Melendez in redraft leagues next year because for some reason I'm the only one that's impressed by what he's doing. Um, But I also do want to like one of the uh, classic things, and this wasn't in response to my mailbag, uh, my call for questions for the mailbag. But one of my favorite things is whenever I do an update, I tweet out a picture of the top 25 and, you know, it's kind of a teaser for people that don't subscribe and and that type of thing. Uh, And without fail, I get a, I get a response. uh, Where's Francisco Alvarez? Um, Because I, have never had Francisco Alvarez in my top 25 and I'm guessing he's like top five on every real life list. Uh, I just don't, I've never. So there's, there's this big supply and demand issue at the catcher position right now that I think we got to talk about. And uh, if you are in a league and I do these kind of roughly for 20 team leagues where only one catcher has started. uh, If you're in a one catcher dynasty league, they just aren't that valuable. Like it's it's obviously great to have one of the four or five best catchers that season if you're trying to win, but as soon as you have a good catcher, having a second good catcher, let alone a third good catcher, just doesn't mean anything to you really, other than uh, as a trade chip. And I think there's just so many awesome young catchers uh, in the majors and in the minors that having a catching prospect, um, like my, my projection for Francisco Alvarez is he's going to hit like 250 with 25 homers uh, in his peak seasons. Um, maybe with a good OBP, but I also think he's going to age quite poorly. I think his body is one of the worst bodies you'll, you'll see, uh, Alejandro Kirk's got a, got a bad body, but Alejandro Kirk has a elite hit tool. Um, and that makes up for it. I mean, I think I think Alvarez is going to be fine. I don't think he's going to be like Vlad Guerrero behind the dish or something like that. Um, and so he gets ranked really high on these real life lists. But uh, Diego Cartaya has just as high a ceiling, if not a higher ceiling, than Alvarez. Uh, Bo Naylor looks like a an absolute stud, um, and he's he's just as close as Alvarez to the majors. Um, Andy Rodriguez with the Pirates. Like Bo Naylor and Andy Rodriguez, probably two of the hottest hitters in the minors since my last update. Um, And Andy Rodriguez, I've ranked outside the top 100. Like I don't, people aren't like, what? Where's Andy Rodriguez? Why isn't he in the top 75? Like, I don't think it's that crazy to have Alvarez outside the top 25, and in my case, well outside the top 25. Uh, But back to that original question, like Bo Naylor versus MJ Melendez. You know, you're looking if if you put Andrew Melendez at AAA right now, where Bo Naylor is, his numbers would be insane. Um, I I wouldn't want to keep playing like a game musical chairs where I just I pick up a catcher, he gets to the majors, he hits 235, I drop him for a catcher who's hitting well at AAA. Like you have to account for the fact that most catchers are going to really struggle as as rookies. Um, Austin R. Do you think we see Corbin Carroll and Jordan Lawler both in the majors by the end of 2023? Uh, Nope. Uh, Again, check out those ETAs. Uh, Carroll, I think, breaks camp in the big leagues next year. Jordan Lawler might break camp in the big leagues in 2024. Uh, But I think Lawler is at least a year behind Carroll in terms of when they debut. Foss uh, wants to know if i see a spot for spencer horwitz this year in toronto they've been moving him around the diamond but it's pretty crowded yeah i mean horwitz uh he didn't debut in the top 100 but he debuted just outside at 109 he's had a great year um really good all around hitter uh i don't see i don't see any room for him um barring an injury to a key guy but i do think horwitz will be quite uh quite interesting in, in redraft leagues next year. Um, Julie, which Dodgers, uh, pitching prospect has the most upside Bobby Miller or Gavin stone. Uh, for me, it's stone. I've stone ranked like 40 spots ahead of Bobby Miller. Like if you just look at the scouting report and you go by pitch, 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 let, let's see the grades and you just do the upside that way, maybe Bobby Miller uh, grades out better. I don't even know if that's true anymore. I mean, Stone's changeup is probably the best pitch of of either guy. But, like, let's look at stuff besides just grading each individual pitch. Um, Stone is a starter all the way. Uh, He's going to go deeper into games. He's going to – like, he's more poised – to be a guy who two years from now is logging 170 innings in the big leagues. Um, Miller is just, he's kind of all over the place. Like he's still developing. I think there's reliever risk with Miller. There's the risk that he's just a five and dive guy who is tough to rely on for wins. Uh, I just, I think everything points to Gavin Stone except sort of public perception coming into the year. Um, So Gavin Stone. Uh, Joey DeClerc got a lot of questions about Yiddick Cape. So I'll just answer him with this one. What is it about Yiddick Cape of the Marlins that justifies the huge leap into the top 50? Stats look good, but what's under the hood that stands out? Uh, Yeah, I I definitely... um, pretty aggressive i put a uh, cape at, at 49 overall um i you know i always and you could argue like he should have he certainly should have been in the top 400 before this update right like he had the pedigree and everything uh but when i would watch him um before he started playing in games this year it just—he seemed kind of uh, like an Alexi Ramirez type of glove-first shortstop, where there just wasn't going to be much for us in fantasy. And his body, yeah, part of it is—you know—I was probably watching videos of him from like two years ago and and using that to evaluate him. But um, I mean, his body now just looks perfect um, for a, a 18-year-old shortstop. Uh, 6'3, athletic, super quick twitch, room to add a ton of good weight, already getting to impact power in games. And um it's it's definitely uh sacrilege to to say stuff like this. I'm at risk of sounding, you know, like Harold Reynolds on a draft broadcast. I I honestly got Alex Rodriguez vibes uh watching. Uh, a. um just really really impressive um, so it's an it's an eye test and it's a massive upside gamble like you know putting a guy like that at 49 um, from off the list to 49th overall uh, maybe it won't end up being as exciting as I think it could be but I think he has the tool it's pretty clear to me he has top five prospect type of tools right now. And he could be on his way there. Uh, so it's kind of, you know, I always get those questions like, um, we have got another one coming up here, but like everyone wants to know, like who's got the most upside outside of your top 50 or, you know, we've got a lot of people chasing upside, right? Uh, Yeddy Cape, uh, chase the upside, uh, with him and with this guy, uh, Gary asked, what are you seeing in Anthony Gutierrez of the Rangers to bump him so high? Uh, higher than other pop-up IFAs like Carlos Jorge and Glader Figu- Figueroa. Uh, Jorge wasn't a pop-up guy. I mean, he's he's been ranked for a while, but Figueroa was. Um, with Gutierrez, like I'm just I'm seeing superstar tools on video, uh, extreme explosion in the swing. Um, he's ma- and he's making that. You always love it when guys do the, the mid-season jump from the DSL to complex ball as a 17-year-old when their team just decides, like, we got to get this guy uh, stateside. Like, we're too excited. We got we to see what it looks like against uh, better pitching. And that's what the Rangers did with Gutierrez. Um, so far, so good. Uh, he probably – I mean, I wouldn't even rule out him getting a, a tiny taste, a single A as a 17-year-old, but – certainly he'll open his age 18 season at single a and he's just got, you know, he got that it factor. He could be uh, one of those guys on a meteoric rise. Um, You know, you can get burned, you know, reacting, you know, like uh, Hedbert Perez, that type of thing. You you can definitely get burned um, going this way, but I think, I put Gutierrez around seventieth overall. I think that's a, that's a fair spot when you're kind of factoring in how high this guy could climb and and how much risk there still is. Uh, Max Walner, and got a couple questions like this too. Uh, if Michael Harris hadn't graduated from the list, where would he rank? Um, so I think I'm leaning towards. I think Harris would be number one for me in batting average leagues and Corbin Carroll would still be number one for me in OVP leagues. Um, But I mean, yeah, Michael Harris, extremely impressive. Um, I've said this before, but I, I, I know that Michael Harris is going to like, he's going to have an ADP of like, I don't know, 40 or 45 or 50 in redraft leagues next year. And there's going to be a lot of, you know, hemming and hawing about paying for the shiny new toy, that type of thing. Uh, I am gonna be paying the sticker price on my Clares in Regife leagues next year. Unless it's like gotta take this guy in the first round or something, but it won't be. Uh DJ asks, why no love for Christian Vaquero? And where is Lazaro Montez's ceiling? Uh, you know, I got Vaquero. He's At 288, he's in the DSL. He's been like league average. I don't know why I need to have him higher than that. Uh, He was actually my number four ranked guy from this class before the season. And he's been even below my expectations so far. So I I don't think the onus is on me to justify why Vaccaro where he's at. I think someone should should justify to me why he should be higher. Um, But Montes, who was my second ranked guy behind Roderick Arias, who's struggled, uh, Montez is just, you know, he's, uh, looking exactly as advertised, a little, little bit too much swing and miss. Uh, but you know, this is, he. Uh, DJ want to know what Montes' ceiling was Montes with the, the Mariners, just monster, uh, uh, power hitter. Uh, like I, his ceiling is just prototypical cleanup hitter. Um, maybe even like a Jordan Alvarez type of guy, like don't want to get too far ahead of things, but like, you know, that type of just elite four category production uh, strikeouts are going to have to come down, but um, you know, you're way in the risk and the reward there. Uh, Jeff Kearney thoughts on Alec Burleson's numbers at triple a, can he do the same in the bigs Uh, ended up ranking Burleson 128 and uh, uh, I was in the book on Montez, I haven't met 96. I so just the top 100. Um, Burleson, though, I don't think there's another prospect who has a bigger gap between what their stats look like and how they look via the eye test. Um, uh, you know, Burleson is just he's maybe the least athletic looking baseball player I've ever seen and I'm not just talking about his body. Like, you know, it's not a, you know, he's, he's kind of in that sort of, uh, Billy Butler, uh, Dan Vogelbach type of range, but that's like, those guys were better athletes to me in the batter's box than Burleson is. Like, I just, every time I watch him, I'm just like, how is this guy, how's this guy doing this? Like, it's just like, (laughs) um, and so I, I'm scared. I, I'm just scared of like him being just a, a 20 grade athlete. He's in a system uh, that has a bunch of these guys who belong at DH. I know the Cardinals are hot on the the trail of trading for Juan Soto. That would, you know, that if that trade happens, it's going to free up a lot of these guys. It's going to help Burleson's value. It's going to help Juan Yapez's value. It's going to help Nolan Gorman's value. Um, you know, I, I, anyone who's going to the Nats, there's going to be playing time for them, and the guys left over, they'll be playing time for them. But it's just, it's tough for me. You know, I bumped into 130 or whatever. Uh, stats look great. Really tough to quibble with anything. Um, but he just, I, I get this quad A vibe from him because of just how unathletic he is. Um, but we'll we'll see. Um, Chris Stevens asked, uh, how is it that so many top picks from college have been big f- Big time flops lately, and he lists Asa Lacy, Austin Martin, J.J. Bladé. You um, know, I've kind of been thinking about this too. Um, I, I, well, first of all, I don't think it's a lately type of thing. Like the, the MLB draft's always been like this. There's been busts, um, busts in the MLB draft high up for as long as I can remember. Uh, I did kind of want to look at the. Um, did kind of want to look at that 2020 draft though, um, because that one really does seem to stand out, uh, as one of the bigger bust laden drafts up top. Um, so yeah, uh, you got Spencer Torkelson at one. Uh, I wouldn't say that Torkelson's a bust, but he's not. I don't, I feel confident in saying he's not going to be sort of towards the high end outcomes there. Um, Heston Kierstead is, is a good story of a you know, guy working his way back from some rough medical issues and stuff, but um, you know, TBD on Heston Kierstead. Max Meyer was a big follower in this update because, you know, if he ends up getting Tommy John surgery, we're not going to see him till 2024 and uh, just already had some concerns about the third pitch and stuff. Uh, Asa Lacey. Massive bust. Austin Martin, massive bust. Emerson Hancock at pick six. You know, I I don't think he would go sixth. Uh, I'll just put it that way. I think he could still be a back-end starter. Nick Gonzalez, he wouldn't go seventh if we redid this draft. Uh, he was a massive follower as well because it's kind of like the hit tool is supposed to be the thing, and if the hit tool is an issue, like those custom comps start ring, start ringing truer and truer. Uh, Robert Hassel. We finally got to a guy at pick eight, where it's like, yeah, no doubt. Um, this guy probably should have been the number one pick in this draft. Um, you know, Zach Veen, fine number nine pick. Reed Detmers, I'd say good number ten pick. Uh, Reed Detmers maybe would be a top three pick if we redid this draft. Um, so you get my point. Like it's this was a bad draft uh, in hindsight, and that just that'll happen sometimes. Like the Nick Sanzle draft was like that. Uh, that whole. Top 10 was a, was a bunch of busts. So, uh, it's just kind of the way it goes. Um, Doug bless zinski uh, noticed the pitchers are not ranked as high. Uri Perez was the top pitcher at 13 and then Nick Lodolo, Grayson Rodriguez at 29 and 30. Do you feel that Uri is in his own tier and do you see big tiers at, uh, SP? Um, yeah, I mean, this is kind of par for the course for me. Uh, and I know I know Doug's been a follower of, of my rankings for a while, but like um, I would say on I would expect to have two to three pitchers in my top 25, and maybe you know three to five in my top 35, and that's kind of where we're at. Um, Uri Perez at 13, then Ladolo, Grayson Rodriguez, Ricky Tiedemann, uh, Daniel Espino, Taj Bradley all within the top 33, so there's kind of a a tier there, guys. Uh, But to Doug's point, yeah, I think Perez uh, has separated himself. Uh, When you factor in health, stuff, command, proximity, likelihood of being an impactful contributor for 2023, I think it's just kind of all pointing towards Perez, and, you know, we're going to have, you know, Grayson's innings are going to have to be managed. Uh, Espino's innings are going to have to be managed. Um, you know, maybe Tiedemann just continues on this crazy ascent and and he's good to go for 100 innings in the majors next year. Uh, I love Nick Lodolo, Um, but I mean, we got to hope that that back issue stays in the past. You've got to hope that he throws enough strikes. Um, maybe Taj Bradley is like one of the safest of these guys. if we're just talking about value for next year, because there's not much pitching coming to help this year. Uh, if you don't have Lodolo and we'll get, we'll get to that in a second year, but I think Uri Perez, I like if we were just drafting guys for next year, fantasy value, Uri Perez is uh, he's kind of separated himself from those other guys. Uh, Hose. Uh, what are your thoughts on Justin Dearden? Uh, He's kind of an older outfielder in the Astros system. Um, I like what I've seen. Um, he did. He got added on this update. Uh, where did he debut? Um, get added at three forty-seven. Um, and he's you know he's twenty-five. He's at. Uh, He's at double A, I believe, and uh, the strikeouts. You know, if you're gonna be 25 years old and uh, I don't think he's at triple A. Um, but if you're gonna be 25, like to be ranked much higher than that, you just gotta have complete control of the strike zone. He doesn't really have that yet, but I, I do think there's yeah, I think he's a good sleeper. I think in in deeper leagues, uh, and I'll I'll spell that. Uh, it's justin and then D-I-R-D-E-N. Mm-hmm. I think he's a good sleeper, Um, but I mean, there's, there's definitely some quad A potential here. Uh, Travis Pastore, uh, what makes Robert Hassel such an elite prospect seems to not be a top tier power or speed threat. So isn't a lot riding on the batting average? Uh, Yeah. Um, But I, I mean, if you just said you can either have an elite hit tool, elite power or elite speed, Give me the elite hit tool. I think that that I think that's what everyone should should say. Like, if all I know is he's either got an elite hit to elite power or elite speed, give me the elite hit tool. And um, Hassel has just such a breathtaking opposite field approach uh, where he just he hits these opposite field homers, and he's he's not trying to hit it out. It's just because he puts such a good swing on it and is in just kind of complete control of the at bat. Um, I think he's kind of, I don't think this is a new comp, but I, I think Robert Hassel, the prospect reminds me a lot of uh, Christian Yelich, the prospect where it's like, yeah, the hit tool, but what else? Um, Nobody was saying that Christian Yelich was going to be a 30, 30 guy, right? Like, I think 2020 would have even been pushing it. And sometimes these guys just end up uh, doing more with their legs and getting the more power than people expect when they're 20 years old or 21 years old. And uh, I certainly think Hassel has enough power to, to be a 20-homer guy and enough speed and enough OBP to be a 20-steel guy. So if I just told you that he's got – one of the best hit tools in the minors and he's going to be a 2020 guy in his peak. Wouldn't he be a top six prospect? Um, Kale Loken. Uh, why did Leover Piguero drop so much? He's still so young at double A. Also, what is holding Alex Ramirez back from being top 30? He seems to have it all. Uh, Pagueros just so aggressive at the plate. Um, I'm really kind of worried about whether he's an everyday player uh, when it's all said and done. I mean, the, the Pirates obviously have a ton of options uh, when we look forward, you know, two years down the road or so. Um, I, I don't think he's going to be able to play every day if he's just like a 300, 310 OPP type of guy. I know he's young for the level, um, but sometimes we sort of start seeing these warts when guys are at double A. And uh, I'm just kind of I'm iffy on the likelihood that he's an everyday player, and just kind of what the fantasy profile all kind of looks like with Piguero if it if it does work out. Uh, I I definitely get the argument for having Alex Ramirez higher than I do uh, top thirty. I think that's a bit of a stretch, just given how much talent there is uh, in the minors right now. Um, I've got him at sixty three. Uh, If you wanted to say he should be like 43, uh, no arguments here. Um, He's a little overly aggressive as well. I just didn't think it was quite time to kind of give him the big push. On the next update in about a month from now, you know, we'll have uh, a lot more data on on how he's done against high-A pitching. And, you know, maybe Ramirez is top 25 on the next update. Uh, I wouldn't rule that out, but just didn't, didn't seem quite time to to give him a big push. Uh, Prospect Sauce, love the Colson Montgomery rank. What exactly about his profile has you so high on him? And how would you compare him to other infielders from last year's draft like Marcelo Meyer, uh, Marcelo Mayer? Um, So Montgomery, just really elite in terms of the hard hit rate, the plate skills, the Power like game power now is, is good. Power projection, though, to me is, is really uh, off the charts with Montgomery. Um, I think the big difference between him and uh, Mayer is the strikeout rate. Uh, I think you know, Montgomery at low A was like a, a shade under 20%, Mayor's at like 27%, and then uh, <coughs> um. Montgomery is also already having success at high A and Mayer's still at low A. Uh, Jeff Kearney, uh, Corbin Carroll ETA and expected home runs and steals in his prime. Uh, so ETA, as I said before, um, beginning of next season, if he's healthy, I think he breaks camp just like Bobby Witt did, just like uh, Julio Rodriguez did. Um and then expected home run and stolen bases in his prime. Uh, this is why he's the number one prospect. 30 homers, 40 steals, 100% uh, possible with not, not 100% going to happen, but like not a stretch at all to say Carroll could go 30-40. And he could go 30-40 with an OBP of like 400. So uh, this is not a this is not like a down number one overall prospect. I've heard that kind of mentioned like, Corbin Carroll is an elite fantasy prospect. Um, no other way around it. Um, let's see. Explorer. What, if any, impact SPs are on the verge of a call-up to help redraft teams? Uh, Kyle Muller with Atlanta is is the guy, kind of, um, He got a big bump. Uh, Let's see. Muller got bumped to 69th overall, double up arrows. He's the 10th ranked pitching prospect. And I think if you look at what he's doing at AAA over his last uh, 10, 12 starts or so, uh, he's finally got the walks. You know, he's still walking too many guys, but he's now walking few enough guys where I see a a clear path to him having success in the majors. And, uh, the stuff is big. Uh, we know Atlanta is pretty solid when it comes to developing pitchers. And so I think, you know, Muller, I don't know if the hype ever got high enough to call him a post hype sleeper, but this is as high as Muller's fantasy value has ever been in my opinion. And, uh, I do think he is a very strong, uh, candidate to help fantasy teams down the stretch this year. Uh, I would have, and I probably would even still say DL Hall as, as the next guy. Uh, it man, like 10 days ago, it just looked like DL Hall was poised to be a potential game changer in redraft. Uh, that he had his like worst outing of the year, uh, I think yesterday actually. Um, only pitched an inning the outing before that. So I just been throwing on his like side day, but uh, you know, you wonder if something, something happened in that start where he was, I think he made it like an inning gave up six earned runs um, just super hittable, which is, which is kind of weird for him. Uh, but if, if Hall goes out and shoves his next time out, um, he would be my, my next guy there because Hall and Muller both had the potential to, to rack up the strikeouts in an impactful way. Um, Caleb Killian, I think, is another guy that, that might be turning things around. His last start was pretty good. Uh, I want to see a couple more of those from him. Uh, Ryan Pepio is super interesting to me. I, I don't think I actually ended up moving him a ton. He's right around 100 overall, but uh, the thing that's so interesting to me about Pepio... Is I I watched all of his big league strikeouts and all of his big league walks so far this year. And the strikeouts look insanely good. Like that that changeup is truly a plus pitch. Um but the <laughs> the walks look almost worse than the strikeouts look good. Like he's missing the zone by three feet on some of these <laughs> these uh, deciding pitches. Um, so it's just, I have no idea where Pepio's command and control is going to end up. But, uh, right now, I think he's just too risky. Like, he's the type of guy that could go five innings, strike out 10, and get you a win, or he could go 0.2 innings and murder your ratio. <laughs> so I just, I don't feel great about Pepio in redraft right now. But if you're desperate, I mean, I think he's got the upside to, to help you. And then, uh, Cody Morris, I think, is kind of a dark horse. He uh, was up to three innings his last rehab start. Cody Morris with the Guardians. All right, Roach Eater. Uh, Khalil Watson. What would be, <laughs> what would he need to do to re- recover his lost value? Uh, if you owned him, would you be selling low? If you could buy low, would you? I see he's raked, or he's ranked in the mid two hundreds. Um, so. Look, uh, Khalil Watson. I was saying on Twitter that you should you should sell low. Just take what you can get from him. Uh, I was saying that like a couple weeks ago. Uh, the stuff I've heard about his makeup is like, you know, it's like the worst. Like he, uh, I mean, I think most people have seen that by now. But like using the bat as like a machine gun. Uh, pointing it at the the first base ump because he rung you up on a check swing call earlier in the at bat, and then you strike out, and then you point your bat as like a machine gun action at the ump. Like that's just so out of control. <laughs> like you know, I mean, and then I'd heard stuff about him from a makeup standpoint uh, after the draft, kind of explaining why he fell to sixteen. I just have zero faith in this guy to turn things around. And he, I would have probably dropped him outside the top 100, even if he'd been doing what we thought he would do in games. And then you throw in the fact that the hit tool is like a 30 at best right now. He's, he's striking out like 40% of the time. Like, I just don't, I mean, he's closer to being off the rankings than back in the top 100. And so it's probably too late to, get much of anything for him in a trade, but um, you should have done that a couple weeks ago. Uh, Three putt par, any commentary around what's caused Jordan Groshans to fall so significantly? Uh, You know, maybe now that I've, I've finally moved him down to where I think a lot of people have him. Maybe he'll finally start doing what I always thought he would do. Uh, Really stick it to me, but you know, he, on my last update, he had, like the best approach, the best eye at AAA of anyone his age, uh, wasn't hitting for power, but I I know there's plus raw power in there, and that approach was just insane, and I, I was kind of betting that it was gonna it was gonna happen for him, and I didn't even rank him as high as I kind of wanted to on that last update, uh, but now you know now he's just kind of doing nothing, uh, he's not hitting for power, but he's also he, he's lacking that kind of elite hit tool. So, you know, he's just kind of – he's got a long ways to go. He's got to reestablish – like, I liked that he was kind of going – establish the hit tool first, then get to the power. But I think he's maybe just trying to get to power um, because the Jays probably told him, like, you got to get to power. Um, So he's not doing that. Um, Alex Washburn, what are your thoughts on the turnaround Will Benson of the Guardians has shown this past year? Seems like he's made big strides. You know, this is such a fun one because Benson was a guy. Um, I'm going to pull up his ranking history, um, and you can see <clears throat> you can see where every prospect has been ranked. Uh, if you just go to their RotoWire page, uh, scroll down a little bit, you can see a big graph of where they've been ranked. So, Will Benson's a great story because uh, right now I have him ranked 78. Uh, He added, he jumped into the rankings at 78. He got as high as 61 in May of 2018. He was just inside the top 100 as recently as June of 2019. And then he's been off the list mostly uh, since about April of 2021. So this is an awesome return, you know, to have a guy. To have a guy be top 100 in 2018, 2019, and then again in 2022, you know, that's that's pretty remarkable. And, uh, you know, the big thing that always drew me to Benson was the incredible power-speed combo that he had. Uh, you know, he's a massive kid. If you've seen Will Benson, um, you know, he's 6'5", 6'6", 225", uh, just a really good athlete, um, monster juice in there uh, from the left side, and so really, it's it's a it's a really appealing fantasy package if it all comes together. He's at AAA. He's got the strikeouts under control. Uh, he's wa- he's always walked a ton, so he's always been he's always had a really high ceiling in OBP leagues. Um, so it's just it's it's a really good story. Uh, I hope that he isn't just kind of quad A-ing it, and you know he gets his debut, and then you know he's hitting like 120 with a 40% strikeout rate or something. That could happen. It's tough to to kind of rank a guy like this where it's there's there's so much you can get excited about, but all it would take is you know a rough uh, four weeks in the majors, and then you might see him get dropped in some dynasty leagues. So. Um, You do like the fact that it's, it's easy to break into that, that Cleveland outfield, but it's, it's getting, it's going to get harder. Um, You know, they got Will Brennan who's also kind of knocking on the door for next year. So, you know, Nolan Jones has been good. Um, So it won't be as easy, you know, in spring training next year to crack that outfield as it would have been this past spring training. Uh, Taylor asks what are the flaws keeping eduard Julian of the twins out of the top 120 ish uh, seems to be doing everything you want to see. Um this one yeah this one is fair. I I yeah I, I could see a case for having him like at, what did he say 120? Um Taylor wants to know why he wasn't like 120 ish. Yeah I Taylor I could see putting him 120. Um with Julian, he does check a lot of boxes, right? But um, he is a little older. he's twenty three, he's at double A, he's a bad defender pretty much everywhere, and the twins, the twins have done an amazing job of stockpiling hitting talent. Um, but uh unfortunately, a decent amount of that hitting talent are guys that you want to see hitting Dh. <laughs> um, so I'd say Julian is kind of behind. You know, four guys or so on the organizational depth chart. Uh, Christian and Strand is the twin who I gave kind of the big push on this one because he really gets to his power in games and he's always done that. Uh, and Strand is another guy that's probably a DH ideally, but uh, I mean he's just he's never not hit a ton and and hit for a ton of power, whereas Julian. Every stop he gets to, he's walking like more than anyone else in the league. Uh, but he's also striking out a decent amount and not really getting to his power that much. Maybe he should be a little bit more aggressive up there. Uh, but he hits the ball hard. I, I could see, I could definitely see a case for me being 70, 80 spots too low on on Julian. Uh, good friend, Jack Thompson uh, says, uh, looks like you're completely out on. Matt Brash and Josh Winder and asks if it's injury related or if this is a graduation thing. Yeah. Matt Brash and Winder both graduated due to time on the active roster. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm completely out, uh, but I'd be pretty guarded with both these guys. Brash due to the command. um, Just not sure he's going to be able to start. And then even as a reliever, like a, I'd rather have Andres Munoz if I was rostering a Mariners reliever in Dynasty than Matt Brash. And with Winder, I mean, he's, he's Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Like it's how healthy is his arm. And I'll tell you how good he's going to be because when, when he's fully healthy, he's great. Like he's a number three starter, set it and forget it, but he just can't stay. He can't stay healthy for long stretches. Like he's shown it last year. Was dominant for a couple months, uh, shoulder started barking and then he kind of sucked. Was awesome as a rookie against big league hitters this year, then you know, dealt with some arm issues and then he started sucking. So um I'm not out on either of those guys, but I also <clears throat> I'm gonna try to caution against getting too high on Winder or Brash if they start making noise, because there are still some concerns there for me. All right. Well, this will do it for this month's uh, mailbag episode. Really appreciate everyone who sent in questions and uh, I'll be back uh, next week and uh, be on the lookout. Those top 20s for the prospects uh, right after the trade deadline, uh, be fully updated with all the new prospects that everyone trades for and everything. So uh, keep on the lookout for that. All right. Thanks.